You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Christopher Media, let's make some noise. Mufuni has so much courage, and he just explode onto the screen. Toshiro was adept at karate and swordsmanship. He got into fights frequently, usually defending his younger brother. Mufune and Kurosawa had an influence in American film history. Thousands of miles and two entirely different cultures apart. Without them, there would have been no Magnificent Seven. Clint Eastwood wouldn't have a fistful of dollars, and Darth Vader wouldn't be a samurai. Mifune's performance is layered, complex. He studied the movements of lions. He's like a caged animal. He pursued two of his favorite hobbies, cars and alcohol, often at the same time. A lot of actors who were very serious about their craft study him. It's up to the actor to turn a character into a hero. A lot of people try to imitate Mifune, but nobody can. Hey folks, Mike White here with a special bonus episode of The Projection Booth. You are going to hear from the director of Mifune, The Last Samurai, a recent, kind of still in theaters right now and hopefully coming out on DVD very soon, documentary about Toshiro Mifune, one of Japan's biggest stars, if not the biggest star from Japan. Definitely check out the documentary if you want to learn more about Toshiro Mifune, especially about his samurai films. So here we go with the interview. Hope you enjoy it. I want to know a little bit more about your background. How did you get into filmmaking? I was an art student and um, sort of really frustrated with the, I don't know, the isolation of it and thought, well, it would be good for me to do something, um, you know, where you have to put yourself out, where you have to connect with people. And so, I, you know, I went to sort of made that decision right before college and went into film school at, at San Francisco State during the 70s. I don't know, when I got out, I just wanted to make movies. I didn't really, you know, care what the genre was. You know, if it was, uh, if someone offered me a slasher film, I would have happily taken it. But, uh, I, you know, I quickly sort of realized that, you know, you, you can struggle and struggle to uh, get a feature film off the ground, or you could just go out and, you know, if you have a compelling subject, people don't check your resume, you can make a documentary. And so I sort of just immediately veered toward documentaries. And I've veered off a little bit, but mostly my interest is in documentaries. You know, it's sort of, it's, you know, what you get the film, make the film and have a life experience at the same time. And it's like actually living real life, you know. You get very involved in in new communities that you might not have, you know, uh, inter- any interaction with, and I like I like the challenge of the format. I think you know, 
you know, finding a compelling subject and finding a creative way to uh, to explore that subject is always kind of an adventure. And uh, you know, sometimes sometimes you you hit a wall, um, and, but you know, you've got to find a way around it. I've done a lot of docs, and um, mostly, you know, mostly for and initially uh, uh, with PBS, and then found that sort of restrictive uh, censorship-wise, and um, really was almost about to quit. And at the time, this right before digital video came in, because I didn't want to work in analog video. I was mostly working in 16 millimeter. I thought I should do one film where you're really in the trenches. And so I had run into uh, um, some HIV-positive kids in San Francisco who were drug addicts. And I was just kind of fascinated by the culture. And so I decided to do one last documentary. And then the digital cameras came in, which were, you could finally, you know, do what people talked about, making a documentary. You could go anywhere, shoot, you know, anytime, you know, without lights. And uh, you didn't have to drag huge battery packs around and, and the uh, the cassettes were tiny. And that that was really finally sort of, you could, you had the equipment you needed to, you know, to shoot reality. And so that was very exciting. And, you know, I've sort of stayed with it since then. And um that, that film uh, HBO picked up and then provided me with uh, many more opportunities to work with them and that and so HBO has really I don't know been terrific for me and uh, really has sort of helped me sort of expand my abilities and look at different subjects and this is not an HBO project uh, although I was doing a project for them um, at the same time because uh, this took a while to get off the ground. I don't know, this was the kind of opportunity to not do something so life and death um, with uh, not make a film that people were scared to see. I don't know, it was an opportunity to do something. I don't know, it was really, a, I would have never thought of this project. It sort of fell in my lap and I just grabbed it immediately. But I, it was probably just too good to be true. I, I would have never proposed it. Firstly, because I would assume that it had already been done, that, um, but there hasn't been any documentary on Mifune or Kurosawa, partially because it's so daunting to work with Japanese film companies. Um, uh, they're really controlling and um, usually discouraging to do this kind of project. So it's pretty amazing that we got it done. Yeah, when I think about Kurosawa, I think of the Chris Marker film, AK, but there is a real dearth of behind-the-scenes information about the Kurosawa-Mifune relationship. How were you able to finagle the rights, though, to do a project that hadn't really been done before? It was partially ignorance. We did not know how hard it would be. I mean, I, as soon as all the producers and, and I got together with the producers and they said yes, we were held up about six to seven months to be sure that we could get the licensing and stuff and so but it was it was difficult all the way through and um if the producers had known how difficult it would been would be uh i don't know if they would have attempted it but it was just kind of i don't know it was you know i mean mifune who is more important in japanese film than kurosawa and mifune and it just seemed like it had to be done and this was in some ways, the last chance, because there were still people alive that that worked with him and knew him well, and you know well, that would not be the case ten years from now. And uh, so it just seemed like last chance, and had to be done. It was like you know everyone was on a mission. 
That was probably the thing that impressed me the most with your film. Yes, it's great that you've got Keanu Reeves doing the narrating, you've got Scorsese and Spielberg as interview subjects, but just to have those stories of the people who actually worked on these things and who worked alongside Mifune was really great. They were just so eager to do it, and it, uh, you know, it's it, you know, there was when you talked about Mifune, you know, their their eyes kind of lit up, and you know, they're also just you know that remembering you know really some of the best times of their lives and you know they as we point out in the film they were working hard but you know they there's this sense of achievement like we did something special you know something that you know that people around the world saw and that that still means a lot to them that pride and passion definitely comes out how difficult or easy was it for you to track down these folks for the Early, I mean, we had to decide to, to because of the licensing that we would just limit to his samurai films and, and just pick a few among those. Um, so for the earliest, the two earliest films, Rashomon and Seven Samurai, we struggled and could not get anyone. There. The actress from uh, Rashomon was still, I think, still around, but she was her health wouldn't allow her to do any interviews at the time. And so we had no one because, you know, also there were very few actors in that film. And then for Seven Samurai, it was very difficult as well. We had the actress who uh, has one of the leads in Redbeard uh, as a child. She was one of the extras on Seven Samurai, but she was very young. And so she just remembered, you know, the dust and, and the big crowds and, and some director yelling at everybody. And uh, she, that was, she had nothing to offer beyond that. So that's how we, you know, we just basically scanned, you know, the credits over and over. And I would say, how about this person? And they would say, just died. How about this person, you know, hospitalized? And, you know, anyone whose death date wasn't filled in, we, we checked out. And um, that's, how, you know, in Seven Samurai, initially we just had uh, the guy from who was also in that same, very same year. He was an extra he had a small part in Seven Samurai, and he was Godzilla the same year. That's how he got in the film, because initially, the other actor who was in Seven Samurai, uh, Yoshio Tsuchiya, who had a, had a principal role, he, was, he was, had been in the hospital, and we weren't sure if we could get him, but luckily we got him. As soon as he was able, he came out uh, for his interview, and uh, uh, that was a great get. Uh, other people, you know, yeah, we, uh, you know, we just asked everyone we, you know, we could think of really, I mean, there were just not that many people to choose from. What's your history with Mifune? Do you remember the first time you saw him? My first Mifune film was my first Kurosawa film as well. I saw Seven Samurai. I, I'm, I, I would say it was about 12 is my guess. And it was, uh, I grew up in LA and there was, uh, I went, uh, in the Venice area. So the Venice Japanese Community Center um, showed um, showed a print of the film in 16 millimeter. So um, I remember the a really noisy projector, uncomfortable wooden chairs, and the screen was a king size bed sheet. And I remember it being sort of winter, and and uh, when anyone opened the door, the bed sheet would sort of flutter or fly up. And everyone would go, oh, close the door. And uh, the and uh, I remember being sort of fascinated. As, and I walked around to the back, to the back of the screens, and you could watch the movie backwards. 
I, you know, I don't remember watching the film until the very end. I remember really vividly um, the final battle scene in the rain and just just sitting there, just awestruck. I, I, you know, I even think about it now. Like, is there a better, you know, battle scene in any movie uh, than than Seven Samurai? It's so dramatic. It's uh, it's so I don't know. It's so emotional. And I remember that. And then. There were a couple of Japanese movie theaters that opened up in the 1960s uh, in Los Angeles, and we yeah, I think we had about two downtown and uh, one fairly close by, which was the Toho La Brea, which was on Wilshire Boulevard and uh, is now a Korean Christian church. Um, it was a pig theater, and um, my parents would uh, take us all the time. Some often I just went with my mom because. And my parents would say, who wants to see a Japanese film? And my sisters would go, oh, no, thanks, subtitles. I would always go, and I love the theater. You could get uh, sambay rice crackers and mix them with your popcorn. And uh, they had green tea, which I thought, wow, in the movie theater. And uh, we saw the Mifune films in huge impact, seeing the Samurai Trilogy. That, I would say, was uh, my favorite you know, favorite Mifune film, and probably still is, that seemed to me the sort of where Mifune is at his coolest, and uh, you can see all, you know, it's sort of a, I think it's the establishment of that, as we see in the film, that iconic samurai character. When you were a kid, was Mifune someone you'd consider like a hero or a role model? Well, I mean, he was like a hero. I mean, we, uh, you know, my neighborhood was uh, mostly a lot of uh, Japanese Americans and uh, some Mexican Americans. And we were, before that, we would divide ourselves into sharks and jets and play little uh, website story games and cowboys. But once we saw the Samurai trilogy, being a samurai was, you know, what we wanted to be. And we'd take sticks for swords or some of the more privileged kids would get their parents to buy them wooden samurai swords in, in little Tokyo and so but no, I mean seven Mifune was huge. I mean that time I mean I, I don't think I, I didn't think of Mifune as I don't know an, as a sort of new role model, but I you know, I was very conscious of the unpleasant sort of images of Asians, you know, at that time, uh, the most popular TV show was Bonanza. It had a Chinese uh, coolie character on it. It was, you know, the butt of all the jokes and very stereotypical. And and there were some bad uh, films where you had Caucasian actors uh, like Jerry Lewis uh, playing horrible stereotypes. And I do remember that, and and I think Mifune made Mifune even more special. I think, uh, I mean, I, you know, there was no one cooler than Mifune. You said your sister shied away from subtitled films, and I know you're a third generation Japanese American. When you grew up, did you grow up with Japanese being spoken in the home? I think we were a fairly typical Japanese American suburban family in that. Uh, our parents wanted us to be super American, but also, you know, have some Japanese, Japanese culture. And um, so my, my parents sent us all to Japanese language school on Saturdays. And I did very, I, w- I was not good at it. And not, all I learned was that Japanese teachers can 
be really strict. And, uh, and so I, I got to quit and switch to judo. I'd say, yeah, we were sort of typical and, you know, and it was sort of exotic for uh, you know us as well to see, see these films. Um, and Japanese sort of always talk about, you know, samurai spirit, you know, what that means. Was there a language barrier for you when you were shooting the Mufune interviews over in Japan? My Japanese is is, is really bad. It, it was better at times, but, you know, if you're a director and we had a Japanese crew and, and uh, they really don't like it if you speak bad Japanese. I mean, if you don't have an Asian a Japanese face, then they appreciate it. But if you have a Japanese face and you do it badly, it makes people really uncomfortable. It ruins the hierarchy of a film set uh, to sound like the dumbest person there. So, and you know, you can easily direct a film in, in English. You just say kato and action and close up, zoom in, and uh, you just change you just change your accent. You can pretty much pretty much direct a film or say take that out of the way you know and everyone understands so in the directing we had simultaneous translator as well as uh, someone who understood as well as the interviewee uh, interviewer being bilingual and I would prepare the questions and have someone deliver them and um, translate them and deliver them and then we also had uh, we employed um, Mifune's grandson who's didn't didn't live in the United States, but went to an international school and had and had perfect English, and so he did simultaneous translation from another room into my ear, and so I could follow everything as it was happening. And then with the editing, I don't. I worked on a film in Russian a few years ago, and um, and I also did a my film on Hiroshima and Nagasaki with a lot of a uh, huge amount of interviews for that. And I found you just do rather time-consumingly prepared but worth it uh, transcripts where it's written in Japanese, then it's written in Romanized Japanese, and then you have the translation, and you try to make sure that they punctuate the same, that the, all the punctuation matches. And it's pretty easy to, to edit if you have really good transcripts, and so that, that was... That made it pretty easy. I know the film had a limited release so far. What's the status of the film now? Is it going to be opening wide anytime soon? I think the distributor is going to keep rolling it out uh, early 2017. And then we're also waiting for a Japanese release on the film. Uh, that hasn't. Uh, they decided to do here first um, and drum up. You know, Japanese are always interested in what's happening outside of Japan first. And so... Uh, we just had the Walk of Fame where Mifune's star was put on Hollywood Boulevard. That's apparently gotten every, uh, the Japanese press really respond to that. So the word is out in Japan about the film. So we should have uh, some distribution. I'm sure they're working on that now. But it's hopefully, yeah, it'll come back. You know, there's you realize that you know, those, especially college towns all all around the country. You know, they they you know they ran the Kurosawa films and. There's a hardcore, you know, Mifune Kurosawa fans, and then hopefully we'll get some new, you know, some younger people as well. For lack of a better term, Mifune is a, a, a cinematic badass, and it's just always been such a pleasure to see him on screen. Yeah, I totally agree with uh, your terminology. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, 
I can't think of anyone more powerful on screen than someone who just comes on and just commands the screen. And I, what's funny was just even talking with, you know, we had a swordmaster in the film, and he said, yeah, the other actors would actually be afraid when Mifune got serious. They would, they would seriously run away from him when he would charge at them. And the director would say, what are you doing? You're supposed to take him on, you know. Stephen Okazani, it has been a real pleasure to speak with you and to see Mifune, and I hope that many more people do very, very soon. Well, thank you. Thank you for uh, your time. Appreciate it. enjoy this show and want more people to know about it head on over to itunes leave a comment and rate it five stars make sure you like and share us on facebook and don't forget to follow us on twitter just search for christopher media thank you in advance for supporting christopher media by clicking on the paypal button and by clicking through to all the sponsors who support christophermedia.net most importantly we would like to take the time to extend an extra special thanks to you christopher media could not exist without your support thank you for visiting christophermedia.net and thank you for listening Christopher Media, let's make some noise.